Hello and welcome to A Very Full Plate, the podcast where we're all about real food talk with real parents. Your hosts for today are Amy, a natural foods chef and mom of two, and Emily, a professional home organizer and mom of three. Take it away, ladies. Hi, friends. Thanks for joining us. I'm your co-host, Amy. I turn parents into kitchen ninjas to help them feed their families healthy food more often. I'm all about balance, real life, and having fun in the kitchen. You can find me at cookingwithafullplate.com and my Facebook page of the same name. Hey, guys. This is Emily. I'm a professional organizer who helps my clients simplify their lives so that they can experience harmony in their homes again. You can follow me on Facebook or Instagram or visit hallharmonyhomes.com. Come along with us while we celebrate our small victories and laugh at our challenges. And thank you so much for listening. So I'm I'm super excited about this next guest because she played a pivotal and formative role in my own cooking life in that when I was in third grade, she taught me how to make my first dish that I ever made by myself. And you're going to have to listen to the podcast to hear what that's all about. But Lisa Wolken is a longtime friend of mine, as you can tell from that story. She's also a mom of two from Chicago, and she owns and operates Pinch and Dash Personal Chef Services. What's really cool about Lisa is that she's super down to earth about the challenges of feeding her family. And by the way, guys, she's a total pro. Like she does this all the time for other families. She knows how to do these things. And I just think it's super revealing that she even struggles with feeding her family well and getting dinner on the table and figuring out what to feed them. But she also has some really awesome insights because she's so practiced at doing this through the work that she does. So that's something that I hope people will take away is one, solidarity, and two, some inspiration and really practical tips. How about you, Emily? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I appreciate that she embraces routine a lot. Um, I think it's so easy for us to make assumptions about what a chef's family's life is like. And she totally validates that we, what we believe is happening in her kitchen is a facade versus what the reality is. And um, that routines are the norm. It's sort of like if you clean for a living or you paint for a living, you come home and probably you're not painting your house every time and you're not having the cleanest bathroom, but you use your career as a passion. And so she's really practical. I thought that the whole interview just was super valuable. There's so much content in here that is something I want our audience to take away from. You know, it's funny. Isn't there a saying like the cobbler's children have no shoes? Oh, I love it. Yes. Very <laughs> so, so I'm not implying like Lisa's family has awesome food. And if she implied otherwise in the interview, then she's a liar, liar, pants on fire. Cause I happen to know that they are eating delicious food, but it does mean that she isn't free from the struggles that so many of us face. Right. And this is something that I often have also is my husband will tell people at work, like I'm married to a chef. And I feel like they get this false idea that I feel super uncomfortable with that. We live some gourmet life. And if they come over, they're going to have expectations that aren't realistic. Cause by the way, I don't have hours upon hours to cook. Right. Right. And you know what? Um, everybody who's been on this podcast, including yourself, Amy has been very modest about themselves when they came from maybe a cooking or, you know, a chef career and, or maybe just a dietitian. And I appreciate that modesty, but I do hope that people understand there is so much value in what they know and and do. And um, I just think, I don't mean to make a blanket statement about women, but I don't like to hear us all feeling sort of insecure or sort of like, oh, it's not as great as you think. I mean, it's great to be on it and be honest, but I think we all need a little bit more validation. Like, no, you're still kicking butt. (laughs) I love that. I think that's the best message we can go into this is like, mama, you listening, you are kicking butt. And let's listen to Lisa. Tell us a little bit about what she does and how she is kicking butt. Because I know you're going to think that she does just the way that I do. Absolutely. So I am a mom to two young little kids. I have a five-year-old son and an almost two and a half-year-old daughter. And I work part-time as a personal chef and my husband works in the fast food industry all of the time. And so we have a very busy life, all revolved around food. Um, 
And like Amy said, I have the same struggles as everybody else of trying to balance work and kids and my own personal time and having fun cooking as well as cooking for work and finding a good balance to everything. So I've never really thought about your husband's job as being food related because he's a business guy, right? Like He's a business guy, but he owns fast food restaurants. Right. So he's on the business end, but he still is in the restaurants on a daily or weekly basis and has his hands into everything. So yes, full business, but (laughs) the business happens to be in the fast food industry. Well, and that's what's so funny is I've like never thought about it, but of course he deals with food. Is it not fun anymore when you have to think about food all the time for work and because your family just like has this annoying habit of needing to eat? Um, I wouldn't say not fun, but definitely my longer days at work, I'm kind of like, I really hope I already had dinner planned for my family because I don't want to think about now what I'm going to make. Yeah. So we've actually been trying to do a little bit of meal planning where on Sundays, even if it's just kind of a rough meal plan, we'll sit down and kind of figure out at least like when my husband's going to be home. So I know if I'm cooking dinner for all four of us or I'm just cooking for the kids. And if I'm just cooking for the kids because he's not going to be home, then I don't make dinner for myself because I'll just have some eggs or something super easy. This meal planning thing has been really helping. So I have a lot of questions about meal planning because I am really good at doing it for other people and woefully (laughs) terrible at doing it for myself. So like I said, our meal plans, like when I meal plan for clients, it's very specific, not necessarily every ingredient, but every aspect of the dish. When I meal plan for our family, I just do, I'll throw a main dish on a list just so I know what I'm grocery shopping for. And then I always just get a ton of veggies and then I'll just use what we have for vegetable side dishes or I'll make some rice or I worry less, I guess, about the side dishes of meal planning and more about the main dish. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just fill the void where necessary with whatever we have in the house. So much of cooking for a family feels exactly like filling the void. So I'm glad that there's not some (laughs) secret that I'm missing. Um, so you said it looks different when you plan for a client versus when you plan for your family. And I know that so many parents that I've talked to, if you ask them the question, like, if you could have one thing in terms of help, what would it be? And personal chef is like always the answer. Or I would say always might be an overstatement. Like 75% of the time people are like, I would love a personal chef. So how over the course of planning for clients and planning for your family now, how do you make the meal planning process a little bit more bearable and less like this huge abyss that you're trying to operate within? I guess for clients, it's a totally different ball game because I do make some slightly more elaborate meals for them. They're also paying for the groceries. I'm not. <laughs> so that can make a huge difference too. Um And their meals are definitely like a little more extravagant, albeit they're still kind of everyday meals. They tend to have like a little bit of a fancier flair to them. When I cook for my family, we're just straight down and dirty, like taco salad, (laughs) super easy, nothing fancy to that. Um, And I really like Mondays in my house is salmon night. We always eat salmon on Monday nights. The side dishes change, the preparation might change, but that's what's for dinner Monday night. And we just try to keep it super simple because I think that's the only way that I can physically manage to do it for work and for home. Yeah. Otherwise we'd be eating takeout, which is just not an option in my life. And you said a couple things there that I just think are so awesome. Like I love this idea of putting parameters around what you eat on certain nights. Like I've started just calling Tuesday night taco Tuesday, like Mm -hmm. most people do. And it's like, we're having Mexican food on Tuesday night. So for example, we're recording this on a Tuesday and we're going to have this like quinoa taco meat, just like you said, as a salad tonight. And it's, I'm using prepared guacamole and it's not fancy at all, but it's dinner. We're doing that tonight too. Like literally the exact same thing. I was thinking of maybe throwing some lentils in, but a taco salad with some quinoa and lentils and we're calling it a day. The lentils have officially (laughs) made it too fancy for me. That's going to be too much work. (laughs) 
but I think there's an important point there, which is like when people talk about wanting a personal chef or having this magical, mystical other person who is going to do kitchen things for them, I think they imagine that it needs to be complicated. Or if only I was an expert in the kitchen, we would have these fantastic dinners every night. And what I hear you saying is that reality looks a lot different than that. A lot different. I mean, I would say for my clients, yes, it is a little bit of a fancier situation. They are paying me to kind of guide them in a little fancier of a way, but also a lot of it plays into health. I have a client who's celiac, so she can't have gluten. She doesn't like to eat out. They have all the money in the world to be able to go out every single night if they wanted to. It's definitely not a money thing for this family, but it's like, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to run the risk of cross contamination and getting sick. So they hire me to do what, what they might use takeout for instead. So I am expected, I think to like raise the bar a little bit for that situation. But for most families where a personal chef is not a reality and you're just a mom, whether you work or you don't work, and you're trying to get through the day and get like somewhat of a healthy dinner on the table, either for your kids or for your whole family. It's just, you do what you got to do. I mean, like you said, you take shortcuts where you can and you focus on the more important things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's so funny that you're saying this because we interviewed a former pastry chef in one of our first podcast episodes. And she basically said the exact same thing. She was describing this journey to health that she's having both for herself and for her family. And one of her, one of my biggest takeaways from that conversation was that she said, like, at some point, you just have to accept that, like, dinner is another meal you need to eat. And not every meal needs to be like epic or exciting or the best thing you've ever had. Sometimes it just needs to be a healthy, well-rounded meal. In fact, most of the time it does. Yes, most of the time it does. It definitely save the fancy meals for when you're going to go out and just get dinner on the table. You know, I think the biggest battle with the kids is just trying to get them to eat some different foods, which is, you know, (laughs) is a huge struggle. Um, So I was trying to start um, integrating some different vegetables into our lives and making the kids try them. They don't have to like it, but they have to take one bite. And every night I put two different vegetables on their plate. And it could be vegetables I made two, three nights ago. It's not necessarily something I made today for dinner tonight. Right. Um, And I try to give them something I know they'll like and something that I want them to try. So they eat the what they know they like. They can taste the try vegetable. And it's kind of working. Maybe. (laughs) Listen, kind of working maybe is basically all I've got when it comes to feeding kids. I'm like, I I think maybe they're growing. Maybe they're going to make it. (laughs) But I love what you're describing for a couple of reasons, because like, I have heard that exposure is the key thing to getting kids to eat more foods. And I know that as a mom and the person who really deals most with food in our house, I'm endlessly frustrated when I make something and they'll try like one tiny bite of it and be done. But I try to make myself feel better because the research that I read says that that's exactly what it takes to get kids eating healthy long-term. I think that I have read or that I've heard that it takes 10 times of trying to get somebody to taste something before they might grow accustomed to actually liking it, which just seems baffling to me because I think of all the food that might go to waste (laughs) that they're not eating the first nine times that I put it on their plate. So I definitely struggle with that, but I'm trying, uh, we're trying as a family in general to eat more vegetables these days. I feel like there was a period of time where I kind of fell off the bandwagon of really pushing the vegetables. Mm -hmm. And then I started reading a book and now I'm like fully back on the bandwagon about vegetables. What book are you reading? I'm reading, I thought I had it here. It's called like food. What the heck should I eat? As a parent who's trying to feed your family better, which is the entire premise of this podcast is even if you're not there yet, you're trying to do better, which is, basically all of us, I would think, that you do get really interested and sensitive 
to learning more about what you're feeding your family, not just are they eating vegetables, but what happened to this product before it got onto our plate? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's some scary stuff happening. Yeah, very scary. Things are not regulated like they should be in the United States. And it's very, very scary. And I do think that my husband laughs because he'll go to the grocery store and I'll be like, Hey, buy some eggs. And he's like the most expensive ones. Right. And they're like, pretty much. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's not because we have this endless supply of money, by the way, we don't have a personal chef though. <laughs> I might hire one, even though you know, there's something about having someone else cook for your family. Right. Like if I could, I would, but it's not because the money is not an issue. I always say everyone has a budget. But to me, there are certain things that I make sure I put my money towards. Pastured eggs happen to be one of those things. And there's a Mm -hmm. lot more great options happening. That means you don't have to buy the very most expensive ones. But I I prioritize that. Or organic berries. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to balance all of the choices. It's like when putting vegetables on the plate isn't just isn't enough. You now have to find the organic vegetables to put on the plate that are three times the price. And it's, it's definitely, it's a, it's definitely a challenge. I've seen our food budget or I'm really bad at making a budget for food. I'll just say, but our (laughs) food intake of what we've spent on groceries since I've read this book has drastically increased. I used to buy organic when possible, when it wasn't gonna break the bank, sort of, sort of, you know, speaking. But now I won't buy, I literally, if I can't buy it organic, I'll probably just move on to the next vegetable. I think that's one of the amazing things about having the cooking knowledge that you do have. And I don't want to make anyone who's listening feel bad if they don't have deep cooking knowledge, but there is empowerment the more different things you try and the more things you learn to cook, which by the way, you only learn by doing it over and over and over again. It's super unsexy. But by having that knowledge, you aren't standing in the produce section being like, oh no, I need to go on Pinterest and find a recipe for broccoli. You have like two recipes in your repertoire and you're like, oh, there's not organic broccoli today. I'm going to move on to the cauliflower or whatever. Um, Yeah, exactly. And I I would say that to me, that's a really important thing for people to learn is not fancy cooking skills, but just those like baseline things to feed your family well so that you can make choices. Or maybe if you're not only buying organic, that you can buy something not organic that's not on the dirty dozen list and just familiarizing yourself with that. Because we're always all making decisions all the time, right? Well, and also washing vegetables can Mm -hmm. also definitely help if you do a little soak of yeah. vegetables. I'm so bad at doing it. I think you do, you're pretty good about doing that in a little like vinegar, water mixture. Yeah, I do just like a big bowl of water and then like a teaspoon of apple cider or even apple cider vinegar. vinegar. That's what yeah. we used to do in our culinary program. And I thought like, this is awesome that you don't have to have fancy fruit and veggie mm-hmm. washes or all of these No, things. definitely not. Stuff you have on hand. Plus kids are really good at helping with that. So get a sign them up. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to go back because you started talking a little bit about food budget. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing with us what maybe your food budget looked like before on a weekly basis and what it's looking like now. I don't even think <laughs> don't I don't know. even think I could give you a food budget. It's really bad. And I probably should be more focused on it. But I just feel like food is such an important part of my life that that's probably where we spend the most money because mm-hmm. we don't eat out a lot. We really, I really do cook quite a bit. Yeah. Even if I'm tired of cooking, I figure out something to make. I always have stuff frozen on hand too that I've made previously in large batches that I'll pull out and just make a salad with it, whatever it might be. Um, so I can't really, I wish I could and I probably should because it's probably bad that I don't, but I've got no monetary anything to share. Well, what it sounds like to me is that you have prioritized food as part of your life. Yes. And it's not that there's an endless supply of money to put towards the food, but rather that you have decided not to pinch pennies there. 
because you're going to save in other areas so that you can right. put money in that direction. Like we don't go out for dinner very often. That's a huge place to, to save money going out for dinner for a family of four. My kids eat. So like they might eat off the kid's menu, but mm-hmm. my son could eat two meals off the kid's menu. So, I mean, they might not be the best choices. Don't get me wrong. It might be two grilled cheese sandwiches, (laughs) but he could eat two grilled cheese sandwiches off the kid's menu. So it's definitely like a good savings we're putting in our pocket that I'd rather spend on buying food for them to eat. Yeah, it's really interesting in our conversations on this podcast so far, we've seen like every amalgamation of the way that people manage their food budget. And while it's been a common thread that everyone is trying to eat better, there have been a couple of guests who have really prioritized it and thrown like probably more money than they throw at anything else at the food budget because that's their main priority. Me, I try to be a little bit tighter with food budget when I talk about groceries while still prioritizing things like organic and vegetables, but we eat out at least once a week as a family. And so I sort of tighten our grocery budget Mm -hmm. to accommodate for that. We have a lot of reasons for that, including that we live in a new place and we want to explore and that's an activity for our family, right? And then there's other folks who are like, you know, pinching it together and doing the best they can with what they have, which is at at the end of the day, all of us doing the best with what we have, but living on much smaller budgets and making decisions that way. And I just think it's so fascinating to think about all the different ways to cut this problem. No, absolutely. And we're trying also, and this is, I feel like could be a big problem for people. They buy a lot of stuff at the beginning of the week and then life gets in the way and they don't cook it all. And Mm -hmm. then you have vegetables or fruits or whatever that go to waste. So always toward the end of the week, I try to have like a throw together meal that I can take any vegetables that are going bad and include them in my like throw together meal so that I don't feel like any of that is possibly going to waste. Yeah, it's so funny that you say that. I was having this conversation with someone the other day that like the kale you buy and goes bad in your fridge doesn't make you any healthier. Right, exactly. Like if it sits there and you never eat it, now you wasted money and you're not any healthier because you probably ate out instead of eating the kale that's now bad in your fridge. You spent money that you didn't get anything (laughs) out of and you didn't get the nutrition from it and... I love that. So I I think this idea of like using what you have and getting really creative, and this probably leads into my next question, which is, I would love for you to tell me what you think your kitchen superpower is. What skill do you have that best serves you in feeding your family healthy food? Well, I think actually it might be what I just said, having these throw together meals because I just throw a bunch of stuff on a sheet pan and pop it in the oven. And therefore all these veggies that maybe only had another day or two left of life are now being eaten. And I mean, those sorts of things are more like for me and my husband, I'm not sure that my kids necessarily dig into those meals as much as we do. Right. But, um, you know, I try to keep some separate, separate out veggies for them. Like we'll eat, you know, a big batch of all the vegetables mixed together, let's just say with some chicken sausage as like a throw together meal, which is a big throw together meal in our family. Yes. And I'll try to keep some of the, say, broccoli out and steam it for them instead because they won't eat it roasted in the oven. So I try where they're kind of having the same thing as us. So Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm preparing multiple meals, even though I still kind of am, makes me feel a little better if it's the same ingredient. So let's talk more about that and your kids. So your kids are lucky enough to have a mom who people pay to cook for them. (laughs) Just as a side note for anyone who hasn't had Lisa's food, like Lisa has been an amazing cook since third grade when I first (laughs) met her. And Lisa taught me to make my first dish, which was Parmesan pasta, which is still the number one thing I wanted when I was pregnant both times. So I attribute that to Lisa. And Lisa also, I credit with um, showing me that cooking could be easy and fun in a way that I didn't necessarily learn in my own household. So all of that is to say, Lisa's amazing. She cooks delicious, delicious food. 
Thank but you. But tell me about what your kids think about your cooking. <laughs> I don't think they quite grasped the concept at all by any means. Um, I don't think my husband does either because he's pretty picky too. <laughs> Uh, for so those I don't think not watching a vid- the video I'm <laughs> banging my head against the wall because who of us does not feel that way in some way shape or form right <laughs> I just I feel like nobody really truly appreciates it but you know it just they, they're kids my husband I have no excuse for him but the kids they're kids and you know they're ha- perfectly happy with some turkey and cheese on a plate and calling it dinner. So, so what does feeding them look like for you? Like walk me through a dinner time with them. Like you're making X for you and your husband. What are you making for the kids and how do you manage that? So let's just take tonight for an example. I'm going to do taco salad. So my daughter will eat the taco meat, like the turkey taco meat that I make. She loves it. My son will not eat it. Fine. He's tried it before. He doesn't like it. I'm not going to fault him for it. So he gets hard-boiled eggs. That's like the, the down dinner. So if he doesn't want what we're eating, his like fallback meal is hard-boiled eggs. Mm-hmm. Good protein. He loves them. I always have them in the fridge. He only eats the white portion of it. Whatever. You know what? I still feel like he's eating a healthy meal. Um, and again, like to move on with that, like the kids won't eat salad, but they'll eat like components of the salad. So they'll both eat cucumbers. They'll both eat tomatoes. I'm probably gonna, um, roast up some veggies also to like throw in the salad. So if I, I don't even remember what I have in the fridge right now, that's kind of a problem, but some like butternut squash or something to give a little more beefiness of vegetables to the salad. And the kids Mm -hmm. will eat that plain, not all mixed together. They'll also both eat guacamole, one with okay. a spoon, one with chips as a spoon. You know, it's more of a device to get it in the mouth than they actually hey, eat it. Me too. I know, right? <laughs> so I guess I'm, and this is a newer thing that I'm trying. If I'm making dinner for all four of us, especially if all four of us are actually eating together, um, which the kids kind of eat a little early. And if my husband's not home, obviously that's not really happening. Then, but if I am doing a meal where we're all eating together, I try to not make 10 different meals. Mm -hmm. I try to kind of make one meal and maybe divide portions out for the kids before I season or before I mix it all together or whatever it might be. So I don't feel like a short order cook, I guess, in my own house. Right. It sounds like that's what you need to do for both your own sanity and then also for making sure the kids aren't just eating. I know so many people's fallback is like grilled cheese and chicken nuggets every night. Right. Like you're pushing the boundaries a little bit. Right. And don't get me wrong, they, they eat plenty of that too. I've been trying really hard lately to push some different stuff with them and you know, it's, it's kind of working, so I'm going to stick with it. So here's a question I'm always curious about because we struggle with this in our house too, that my three-year-old wants all of his food separated. He doesn't want everything touching. And I get the sense that that's a common kid thing. So I try to take a deep breath and understand it. Where does the decision happen around what you're feeding them? Like, does it always happen ahead of time and what you have on your plate is what you get? Or are you also willing to make switches afterwards based on what they will or won't eat that night? Um, lately it's, this is dinner. If you don't want it, you can have hard boiled eggs, but this is dinner. At least try it. If they really try it and it's something really different and they really don't like it, then, then I would say, okay, there's turkey and cheese or whatever in the fridge, but I usually don't give up on the vegetables. They, and the vegetables are generally always separate for them anyway. Mm -hmm. And simple vegetables. They're not, though my daughter tried radishes the other day and really liked them, which is, super random weird she also really likes asparagus which i think are a very strong vegetable um but besides those two very random things it's very basic vegetables that they'll eat cherry tomatoes cucumbers broccoli butternut squash that's like our rotation of four Mm -hmm. i'm just trying to get them to like venture out a little bit also in that book that i'm reading that's making me a little bit of a crazy person. It talks about the importance of getting all the different colored vegetables in. So, and like, obviously I know this stuff in the back of my head, like different color vegetables have different types of importances in your body, but 
when you're just trying to get somebody to eat some kind of vegetable, you really don't think about it. But now this book is kind of making me think more about it. So, you know, um, my son now tried carrots the other day and he really likes them. So like things like that, like just something, it was like a little victory. Yeah. And I think as a parent, this applies to more than just food, which is a common theme in this podcast is like, oh, it turns out that applies to most of parenting life. But celebrating those small victories is a big deal. Like carrots might not be a big deal to one family, but to you, it's a huge win that he's eating those now. And that's one more thing in a list of four, that's 25% more that he's now enjoying, right? And it's a different color. (laughs) Well, yeah, your your math is right. And it's like a different color vegetable than he is usually eating. So I feel like that's good. The other fun thing I kind of try to do with the kids, and I do this more for them if like uh, my husband and I are not having dinner with them, I make them a rainbow plate. So we try to do all the colors of the rainbow on their plate of food. So even if I'm making them something as boring as like plain pasta for dinner, that's kind of has like a yellowish hint to it. I try to get all the other colors on their plate in some sort of form or fashion, whether they eat them all or not is a different story, but they talk about it and it's fun and it makes it like a little bit more interesting. Yeah. I love that. My three-year-old would be obsessed with that idea. In fact, I'm hesitant to try it because he is a creature of habit. And if I start, then (laughs) every night I'm going to be making a rainbow plate. We get requests for it. So it's not just him. My older one is a very creature of habit too. And I'll be like, well, why are we having this tonight? Why are we having a rainbow plate tonight? Sometimes you woke mommy in the middle of the night and I didn't get enough sleep to think about making you a rainbow plate. (laughs) Oh man, I'm glad I'm not the only one. So one of the things that you're talking about that I'm just starting to dig into, I'm definitely not claiming to be an expert on this, but I joined this new Facebook group called Feeding Bites with a Y, B-Y-T-E-S, and it's led by a pediatric dietitian. And she talks a lot about this concept of division of responsibility, which is, I get the sense, research done by someone else. And the idea, as I currently understand it, and I'm sure I'll share this more in future episodes, is that your job as a parent is to offer healthy food and you're building plates where say there are three options. You build it with two that you know your kids will eat Mm -hmm. and one that is sort of a push. And then what they eat is up to them. So what is offered is up to you and what they eat is up to them. And I love that concept. And it sounds to me like you are instinctually doing that. A little bit. Yeah. For me, what I really appreciate about it is it gives you permission and understanding that Every parent is struggling with this and many kids have things they won't eat. And it's not about getting them to eat everything and enjoy everything. That's just not realistic for most of us. But by finding balance and making sure you're offering things that you feel good about, but they feel good about too, you can cut down on like the battles and stress and all of the emotions that often go with feeding kids. Well, and I also think kind of on that note that parents get super stressed if their kids don't eat. If kids are hungry, they will eat. Mm -hmm. So part of me feels like I give them this plate of food. Some of it they might like, some of it they might not like. Fine. I'm never going to force them to eat. I don't want them to ever feel like they have to clear their plate. The only thing they need to clear is if they have vegetables, the vegetables need to be gone before they can get more of anything else. But if they don't want to finish their, you know, main dish, whatever it might be, that's fine. They don't have to. It's just the vegetable rule in our house just because I'm trying to get more veggies into them. But they never have to eat everything. I do not force them to eat everything. If they're hungry, they'll eat it. And you know what? If they're not, they'll wait till the next meal. I'm not going to feed them again later. They're not going to starve. I mean, I I just feel like a lot of parents get super stressed out about their kids just getting food into them. And I think if as parents, we relax a little bit about that. And again, I'm not a doctor and obviously all kids are different. So this Mm -hmm. is speaking about my children, I guess, more than anybody else's. Yeah. But I feel like if I relax and don't stress about what they are eating, it tends to go smoother and it's not a big deal. It's food. They need it to survive. And if they're hungry, they'll eat it. Yeah. 
you're speaking my language because those are things I aspire to. And yet having a three-year-old who's in like the one percentile for height and weight, I find myself getting emotionally attached to the things that he will and won't eat. And he's an amazingly healthy eater, I would say. Like he will eat cherry tomatoes by the dozen. It's like my kids too. Such a random thing. I know. I have a really hard time getting like fully well-rounded, what I would consider fully well-rounded meals into him. Like a good protein. And, and, but you're saying exactly what my doctor has said to me. And of course there are like really specific examples of when people need to stress about things. And, and there are very good examples. And so I'm yeah. not like discounting that by any means. Not at all. But I have to remind myself to not get emotionally attached to the outcome of his eating, which is like a strange thing. Well, it's hard when your child is like, uh, like you said, on the smaller side, I have two like abnormally giant children. I'm not very big. My husband's not very big, but yet we apparently breed very large children. I, I mean, it's not normal, but maybe that's why I can worry about it slightly less Mm -hmm. than somebody who does have a smaller child or who does need to worry a little bit more that their kid is getting some sort of food into them. Well, and that's the funny thing is with the three-year-old, the doctor still isn't worried about it. It's me who worries because I somehow take it as some kind of reflection on myself, which again... But it's not. Right, but it probably says more about like parenting in general than it has anything to even just do with food that we worry about things about our kids as reflections of us and because we care deeply for their well-being. Absolutely. And I think that's probably pretty normal. Yeah. I do think it's probably, I think your reaction to this is probably way more normal than the, the stance I'm, I'm trying to take. Well, I think that's, that's actually the whole point that I want to bring up is like, this is very much like aspirational for all of us. And I love that you're putting into words something that so many of us are working on because it sounds to me like you are also working on that. Absolutely. I feel like just the struggles with kids and food is going to always be some sort of battle, except for I have some friends whose kids literally eat what they eat. And I'm like, how? Where did I go wrong? I'm a chef and my kids don't eat even close to what I would eat. Well, and I think you're bringing up something really important to me, but that listeners might appreciate also, which is that even those of us who make our business and our living from food have these struggles with our kids in food. And I think in some ways we might even have it more so because it's like a personal affront to us as individuals. And as I say that, I realize that it's totally ridiculous and it's something that all of us are dealing with. No, completely, completely. Like the parents who are struggling with this, who aren't good cooks, it's not because they're not good cooks. It's because you're a parent. To right, children. <laughs> to children. That is why. So let's talk a little bit about your kryptonite. So you obviously have a lot of well-honed kitchen skills that have come from formal education and just spending hours upon hours upon hours cooking and thinking about food. But what would you say is your biggest barrier to making healthy eating happen at home for your family? Um, Probably just time. You know, it's hard to find the time to prep the food and to get the food ready and to cook the food when you're also trying to run around chasing two kids, keep them from arguing, keep sanity in your house and sit down for five minutes. So I would just, it's really time and it's time planning and like, I should have already this morning prepped for dinner tonight, but I haven't. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to figure out sometime because we're eating this meal tonight that I get this done. It might be I throw the kids in front of the TV for a half hour so that I can get it done because we have to eat and we're not ordering takeout. (laughs) Right. Right. And I... I really struggle with that planning also. And it's something, again, that I feel like I'm really good at telling other people how to do and what to do. And I know you for your clients are cooking whole weeks of meals ahead of time. So this isn't a skill gap. It's just the reality of having a family and in your case, working and ferrying the kids wherever the heck they need to go and trying to get a minute to yourself. 
Yeah, it's, it's, there's just, there's either not enough time in the day or there's not enough time where your kids aren't home with you. (laughs) Because the thing is like, even the days where I might get home from work and we have help with the kids, the days that I do work, that I get home and it's not like, oh, the kids are playing, not with me. The kids just still want me when I walk in the door. So it's not like, oh, Joy, I have an hour now to like get dinner ready. No, I have an hour to get dinner ready with two kids trying to grab at me or talk to me or, you know, even though there's this perfectly qualified person sitting in another room who's supposed to be taking care of them. Absolutely. And it's, it's one of the hard things about cooking because the reality is like, if I have help, I try to stay as far away from visibility. I'm literally locked into a corner in my house right now because my mother-in-law is kind enough to be here watching my 10 month old who is home with me full time. Like he's just always here. And he's cute, but he's always here. <laughs> he just doesn't leave ever. <laughs> Gosh. Um, of course, the kitchen is the center of your home. And so it holds this unique challenge of even if you have help or even if maybe the kids are would otherwise be busy, you walk into the kitchen and suddenly they need everything from you. <laughs> no, totally. It's the same struggle. And I think that most parents, whether they work or they're home full-time with their kids or whatever it is, probably feel the struggle. When kids are young, I think as kids get older, obviously those needs change quite a bit. But with young children in the house, I think that it's just, it's the battle that you got to fight every day. Yeah. And it's something I'm excited about with future conversations is to talk to more people who are parenting older kids, because I do think it has its own set of challenges. And often those challenges look like we are not home because we're running right. from sports game to practice to yeah, no, trying to get home and do a ton of homework. And so time continues to be a challenge no matter what point you're at in your journey. It just looks a little bit different. No, I totally agree with you. And I, I've heard that from parents with older kids. It's yeah. like, not that I can't figure out what to put on, on the dinner table. It's just that either nobody's home at the same time or I'm going from this place to that place to take the kids from one place to another for this practice and that game, like you're saying. It's just a, con- it's a constant battle. Yeah. The slow cooker might be a good, a good friend when kids get a little older. <laughs> okay, so you're jumping into my next question, and this is a Lisa-specific question. I want you to download your like top three tips from being a personal chef onto those of us who don't yet have a personal chef. <laughs> like, What are three things we could be doing to be getting better food on the table more efficiently on a regular basis? I think planning, number one is going to be have a plan. Do your grocery shopping in advance. Have a plan and then do your grocery shopping in advance. So you're not running to the store every day because you didn't get ingredients for tonight's dinner, but you because you only got ingredients for last night's dinner or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You have a plan for, I don't even say a whole week necessarily, because I think that midweek generally you're having to run to the store. I mean, I run to the store almost every day, which I'm trying to stop, but that's just who I am. But that's why I'm doing these plans. I'm trying to not have to go to the store every day. I'm trying to find like, I do one weekend grocery shopping, which is like my least favorite time to go to the grocery store. It's just what's been working lately. Right. And then I do one midweek pick up a few more things that we might be out of. Um, Usually it's fresh fruit in our case because the kids eat a lot of fruit. But I think that planning is like key. And as much as I like, don't like doing it for my own family, it has been going really, really well the past few months that I've been doing it. I so that's it. like, so I have two questions about planning that I know other people will have. One, what are you using for your planning format? Like, is there a super secret thing the rest of us don't know about that we should be using to plan? And two, when you plan, are you planning like breakfast, lunch, and dinners? Like what's the quantity and scope of what you plan in each of those sessions? So my plan is literally some scribble in a notebook. I was trying to see if I had it on my desk, but it, I don't know where it is, which is kind of a problem. So there isn't a super (laughs) secret tool that we're missing. No super secret tool. I literally scribble meals in a notebook and usually it's just dinners because 
breakfast, it's not like a free for all, but the kids like frozen pancakes as much as it kills me. It makes my morning very easy. So they get a smoothie, which I make them pretty much every morning and some frozen pancakes or cereal. Sometimes they'll request like eggs or or something a little bit more if I'm not working that day, like, and I have a little more time in the morning I can do for them. And my husband, my husband eats a lot of yogurt for breakfast and I'll make some eggs or I found this great, have you ever heard of no foods? K-N-O-W. Oh, oh yes. Yes. I get their Facebook ads all the time. So I highly suggest trying a couple of their products. Their bread is really good and their wraps are really good. Their wraps, I just like toast and I'll like fry up a couple eggs and eat like a little like burrito-y sort of thing. Or I'll smear some cashew butter with some sliced bananas on like a little wrap that they have and they're excellent. And, and their meal is low-carb alternative ingredients. Is that true? They're gluten-free, dairy-free. We will definitely put a link. Yeah, I'm really liking... Oh, it's called No Better. Oh, No Better. Okay, we will put a link to No Better Foods in the show notes. And if you are watching on video, you can see the No Better wraps. Can you just read me real quick what those ingredients are? Yes. So, it's th- so in these wraps, there's... Water, almonds, dried egg whites, allulose, organic prebiotic fiber, flaxseed, organic coconut flour, chia seeds, leavening, which has like a few um, preserve, not like preservatives, but like stabilizers in it, organic sea salt, and organic flax flour. Cool. And what's the nutrition look like? Um, so in one wrap, we're 70 calories, 4 grams of fat, no saturated fat, 90 milligrams of sodium seven carbs, three fiber, two sugar, six protein. Cool. So I also have like chocolate chips now that I tried that are really good. Okay. I love hearing this because I think it brings home an important point that I feel like I relearn over and over again, which is you don't have to make everything from scratch. You just have to find ingredients and products that really work for you. And it sounds like no better is one of those shortcuts that you use to make sure that you also get healthy food in addition to being conscientious about what the kids are eating. Absolutely. So that's kind of been my go-to breakfast lately. So back to like the planning thing, it's really just dinners. I would say our lunches are my son eats lunch at school a few days a week. My husband packs like a turkey sandwich every day for his lunch. So I just always have turkey in the house. He's kind of a creature of habit too. I love it. Um, so easy. I know. I don't even have to worry about it. And the kids will eat like turkey or sometimes I'll make them like rice pasta for lunch or macaroni and cheese or they don't need like a fancy lunch every day. Right. I certainly don't either. It's more about trying to get that variety, I think, at dinner time, which is like our biggest meal together. And then you plan for. do you plan seven meals for the week at a time or what does the dinner planning look like? So I do, we usually do four meals. I would say we kind of do two. And this is like a super fancy problem, but my cleaning ladies come on Friday and <laughs> I don't like to cook on Fridays when they come. <laughs> so we don't have a cleaning lady. Very but fancy problem. Like that I have mopped the floor. I will not cook. <laughs> Like, because mopping the floor is the hardest task for me, first of all, totally. period, as you know, but, but <laughs> mopping, so, our, like, so I spend our money on a cleaning lady, <laughs> food and a cleaning lady. I yes, like it. pretty much. Friday, the house gets clean. We used to do Friday pizza night. I'm trying to steer away from that. I recently have gone dairy and gluten-free. Okay trying something a little bit different with some health issues. So for three weeks, we're off the pizza. So I don't know what we're going to do this Friday because our life has not taken me there yet. But usually it's a Monday through Thursday plan. So I plan for four dinners. And like I said, I am one to make like a big batch of chili or a big batch of something. And I always have something in the freezer that I can pull out. I need to pause there because I think that there are some really important points. Guys, this is a personal chef, someone who cooks for a living. You don't need to make it so complicated. It doesn't need to be fancy. You don't need to plan every single meal. 
In fact, I feel like that's what's holding most people back from meal planning is they have this idea of meal planning as something that has to be super structured with every single thing planned out. And maybe if you're on a really special diet or bodybuilding, it does. But for most of us, it does not need to be so complicated. It can be simple. It can be written on a piece of paper. It can be just four meals for the week. You can have your standards that you come back to all the time. And then the second thing you said, which is like making big batches of things, folks who are on Pinterest and Facebook these days looking for ideas will recognize this as what everyone is calling meal prep. But the dirty secret in the food industry is this is something we have always done, which is take things that keep well, make lots of it and keep it for the future. And you use the example of chili, but are there other things that you're like, I am definitely going to make extra of this because it keep it just makes sense. So we do a lot of chili soup. The other thing besides pre-cooking things at Freeze Well, I'll buy when like chicken is on sale, let's just say. I'll buy some extra, I'll pre-marinate it, put it in a Ziploc baggie in the freezer, and then I can just pull it out to frost it and it's already in its marinade. So that's another little trick to having some stuff ready to go. I love that. So then cooking it looks just like defrosting it, putting it in the oven, and pairing it with some sides. Exactly. I, I am not as organized, so I don't marinate things ahead of time, but I've been doing a much better job of keeping frozen chicken on hand because the instant pot can cook things from frozen. And so I'll make like, I just put the chicken breast, the frozen chicken breast in with some broth and basically make shredded chicken. And then I'll toss it with say like buffalo sauce or whatever I want that to be flavored with that night. And it makes a really easy meal. And that to me is such a lifesaver because it's one less decision to make. Right. No, totally. So same kind of concept just for people, I guess, who don't have an Instant Pot, which I do have one, but I have a very love-hate relationship with my Instant Pot. So it's like a whole other story. Yeah, Yeah. that's a whole other story. Okay. So I think I've only gotten one tip out of you. Yes. (laughs) Your first tip was planning, and it sounds like there are a lot of elements to planning, but the main thing is coming up with a shopping list, knowing what you're going to make for the week and then making big batches of things that will keep so that you can make less decisions in the future. Right. And, and I think that also that either goes along with that or can be a second tip is make sure when you go to the grocery store, you're getting enough for the whole week. So you're not buying extra that might go to waste. Make sure it's very kind of specific to your plan. And if you can't think of all the vegetables that you're going to eat, make sure you make that like just get the first maybe three nights and you make that midweek stop to pick up a few extra things. I think that that's an awesome tip that kind of goes with the first, but we'll call it the second one, which is have an idea of what everything is going to be used for in the world where all of us are managing some sort of budget and making decisions is having a plan for the things that you buy. is a really powerful way to make the most of your dollar and to make the most of the nutrition in the food that you buy. Absolutely. When I think about planning meals for my family, as opposed to for clients where I'm, when I'm at a client's house, I'm getting everything ready right then and there. When I cook for my family, I have to do a lot of prep work earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. So I try to plan meals where I can get it pretty much to the end product, but not necessarily fully cooked or something so that it's not like 20 minutes to dinner time and I haven't done anything. So I think also like planning your day so that you can kind of get some stuff done earlier in the day or planning your meal based on that. I don't know. That's kind of a. Well, I must tell you that this is surprisingly unsexy, Lisa, (laughs) but tell me what prepping looks like. So I know you said you don't have dinner prep for tonight, but in an ideal world, you're serving taco salad tonight. Everyone's going to be tired of hearing about taco salad, but you're having (laughs) taco salad with some veggies in it. If you could go back in time, you were back to the future and you were (laughs) yesterday getting ready for dinner tonight, what would you do ahead of time so that dinner would be easier when you go to make it? And I wouldn't say it would even be yesterday, but maybe it could have been earlier this morning. I would get all the salad. I would basically make the salad. So I'd get all my lettuce cleaned and chopped up and in a bowl and all my veggies cleaned and chopped up and in a bowl, like ready to go. So salad is done and whatever veggies 
I'm making for tonight, I would have like sitting on a sheet pan in my kitchen ready to go in the oven because most of the time I roast my veggies. Mm -hmm. Um, So then closer to dinner time, all I'm doing is cooking up the taco meat and maybe like throwing some quinoa together in a pot. I know I'm just saying like throwing together. So that's for me, that's super easy. And for somebody else, it might not be, but there's a lot of great things out there now. Um, I know like Trader Joe's makes an awesome like frozen rice that we actually use a lot that takes like three minutes in the microwave and it's amazing. So there's not, it's like a brown rice. They have an organic version of it and you're not having to cook it. They also do a quinoa frozen. Um, and if there's like little, little tricks like that, that you can like quickly whip up a, an easy, healthy side dish for your meal. And you're bringing up such an important point, which is keeping it easy looks different for everyone. But we live in an amazing day and age where there are so many even affordable products available to help us make dinner faster. So I have a spiralizer. So I might buy zucchini and spiralize it to make noodles. But guess what? Target sells already spiralized zucchini noodles. Most grocery stores too now. It's amazing. And Trader Joe's has them frozen, which I haven't tried yet, but my mind was blown when I saw them. They might not taste exactly the same, but if it's a difference between eating them and not eating them, there are easy ways to do this, right? Cauliflower rice. Like why would anyone make their own cauliflower? I don't know. Totally agree. (laughs) I actually have a feeling it's more expensive to make your own. So like on top of taking too much time, it's incredibly cheap and you can buy it at Costco. Right. And everywhere else. And everywhere else, literally everywhere else. And they sell it fresh and they sell it frozen. And I don't remember the last time I riced my own cauliflower. It I know. It's definitely been a long time. Key point, if you are ricing your own cauliflower, you should reprioritize unless all you have is time for cooking. Right. Totally. Totally agree. So I have two last questions. The first one is, do you have a favorite place to go for food inspiration or recipes when you're going to plan for your family or going to plan for your clients? Well, I think that probably just like the rest of people looking for some sort of interesting recipe, turn to Pinterest. I look at Pinterest a lot, not necessarily for a specific recipe, but just to get inspiration. Mm -hmm. Um, I also follow a lot of food bloggers on Instagram that, you know, supply like some cool new recipes. A lot of the things I like to try now, and not because I'm sick of the usual, but like some more paleo recipes and stuff that I couldn't necessarily, or wouldn't necessarily think to create on my own, just because some measurements have to be very specific when you're working with like non-traditional ingredients. So I use like a lot of inspiration from those food bloggers. Um, So I think that's probably where, you know, Food52 is also a great website. The internet is a strange and wonderful place, that's for sure. It really is. Well, that's a good conclusion to bring us to my last question, which is, Lisa, if people want to see what you're up to, where can they find you? So I am on Facebook, but I will tell you, I am very, very... Not good about posting things unless Amy <laughs> convinces me otherwise. My Facebook page is Pinch and Dash Chef. I'm also on Instagram, and I think I'm Pinch and Dash Chef on Instagram as well. But um, I will let you find that out for yourself. And <laughs> on the page. I try, but you know what I've decided in life? There's food bloggers, and then there's people who cook food. And I cannot find a happy medium between the two. You know what? I feel like I'm much more in the latter camp than in the former one. But, you know, when you go to have a business online, you're sort of pushed into this world of taking pretty pictures and coming up with interesting ideas. And something I love about what you've talked about today is that even for someone who makes their living in food, it's not all pretty pictures and fancy food. It's things that nourish your family and that people will enjoy whether those people are the people who you live with or even your clients, right? Is you're tailoring things to them. I totally baited you because I know that you don't update much on Facebook and I'm also not much on Instagram because I think you have to focus one place, but I would love if people check out Lisa's Pinch and Dash Chef 
Facebook page, give her a like and give her some motivation to share some of the things that she's doing. Because I actually believe if you shared more of the things you're doing on like a weekly basis for your clients, even just those cool shots of like the full setup of what you cooked and maybe a link to a recipe of what you made, even if it's someone else's, that that would take away a lot of the stigma that people feel for having to feed their families like fancy, pretty, perfect food all the time. It's just not what it's about. Well, I will try. (laughs) For you and your listeners, I will try. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa. I really, really appreciate you being on here today. I'm so excited for listeners to get to hear about your journey with food, the things that you're exploring for your family, and some of the tips that you've shared and earned the hard way by spending lots and lots of time dirtying and cleaning kitchens. That's right. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. I so appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening. We look forward to talking to you on the next podcast. It's like 1030 at night there, of course.